Hello, everyone. This is Human Capital, and I'm Jeff Hunt. My goal on this podcast is to explore the deeply human aspect of work. Recently, we've talked a lot on this show about the great resignation and how its antidote is to create the healthiest workplaces possible. Healthy workplaces support human capital today in ways that were not even dreamed of 20 years ago. I'm talking about things like employee experience and well being, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging using the right technologies in the right way, and creating compassionate, feedback-rich cultures where both what we're working on and why are clearly defined and they are regularly communicated. The bulk of these practices often falls on HR, which is why we need to actually hack traditional HR structures and processes to transform the companies we lead. Today, I'm excited to talk with a global top 100 HR influencer, who has been hacking HR for the past 20 years. Enrique Rubio is an electronic engineer. He is a Fulbright scholar, and he holds a graduate degree in public administration. Over the past 20 years, he's worked in tech and HR, exploring workplace digitization and what the future of work looks like. Enrique founded Hacking HR five years ago, and he is an entrepreneur at heart. I know he has an impressive life story too, which I hope we get to hear a little bit about today. Hacking HR is a global learning community of HR business leaders and practitioners, and actually anyone who's interested in learning, sharing, and collaborating, and also advancing the HR profession. Welcome, Enrique. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be part of this conversation, Jeff. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. It's a real treat to be able to interview you. And I always like to start our shows off by asking the guests to give a thumbnail of your career and your life journey. And if you could, Enrique, share with us who inspired you most along the way. Well, yeah. Well, thank you again for, for having me here. Just a quick summary of, of me and my career. When I was a teenager, I wanted to be an astronaut. And of course, I, I didn't know that I was claustrophobic back then. So I was very excited about being an astronaut. And back in Venezuela, we didn't have you know, a, a career path that would lead me that way. So the closest thing for me was becoming an electronic engineer, which I did. Uh, I became an electronic engineer. But then I realized, of course, you know, becoming an astronaut is not going to be the path for me. So I'm going to be doing something else. Uh, I became an, an electronic engineer. I practiced uh, engineering for for like about 10 years in the telecommunications sector before moving to HR, which was a move, you know, out of a, a desire to work with people rather than just technology. And also, you know, a couple of personal experiences, uh, which were not positive uh, with HR, that sure. uh, helped me realize not only the potential of the area, but also the sort of the pitfalls that needed to be uh, uh, fixed and, and, and worked out. So that's, that's a little bit about me in HR. I work in consulting, in corporate HR, and now I am fully dedicated to building this global community of hacking HR. So that's uh, in a nutshell, uh, what I've done over the past 20 plus years. <laughs> nice, that's great. And I wanna learn more about hacking HR and have you share about that. But I'm also just reflecting on the fact that you were an electronic engineer and how sometimes people don't make the connection to the process orientation of an engineer and yeah. what's needed in HR, yeah. right? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I, I am a big believer in cross-pollination of fields. So I think that anybody who goes somewhere and that person does not belong originally to that field, they add great amount of value. And this is true for an engineer who comes into HR the same way that is true for an, for an HR person who goes into sales or marketing or finance, because the wealth of knowledge, expertise, ideas, insights that you bring into a, into a vertical field from another vertical field enlarges, you know, the sort of the base of that vertical field, if you will, and it makes it better. And that's why I always tell HR people, you gotta, you gotta do your rounds in other areas that are not HR. That's gonna make you so much better. And similarly, your HR function will get so much better if you start recruiting for people who don't come from a traditional HR background, but are people like me who come from an engineer, engineering background or a sales background or a technology background. That makes the entire thing better. It's nothing to be afraid of. Even if you look at somebody and you say, well, I need somebody to work as a generalist in HR and I need these certain skills, but the person, this engineer doesn't have those skills. It doesn't really matter. You're going to learn those things. But what that person is bringing on board to you is more difficult for somebody who's been in the same thing forever uh, to learn than for that external person to come in from the outside, bring that knowledge and learn what is needed in that job. Again, this is true for all fields of expertise. You know, maybe there are some that are very, very technical that require really deep kind of expertise. But in the work we do in HR, I think that you know, bringing somebody from the outside is really powerful. I love that example because it's such a great picture of the name of your organization, Hacking HR, because yeah, you're yeah. literally hacking the traditional thought processes of HR. Yeah. Instead of recruiting somebody from within that space with decades of experience, we're actually looking for people with diverse backgrounds that can bring those to help our organization improve. I'm also re- reflecting, Enrique, on how critically important that is in other areas of the business, not just HR, but if you think of the best CEOs, for instance, they came up through either the sales side of the business or the finance or the operation side of the business. And if you also look at where the greatest conflict exists in organizations, oftentimes it's the sales organization pitted against operations. But if you can cross-pollinate those skill sets as well, don't you believe there's a huge value in that? There is certainly a huge value. And I know this for a fact because in my career as an electronic engineer, I did two things. I worked in the heavy technology side of things, meaning the operational side of things, responding and saying yes or no to what the vendors or what the salespeople wanted to do, uh, You know, just telling them we can't do that or we can't do this. And then at the very end of my career as an engineer, I worked in technology sales. So I was on the other side of that one technology spectrum me on the position of now asking the engineers, we need to do this, we need to do that, and them saying no to me. I I was better equipped to tell them this is possible because I come from this world. So I know that when you tell me no to something, that's your automatic response, but I know this one thing is possible. But anyway, I think it's very powerful when you have those cross-pollination of different fields, which is, by the way, one uh, one of the most significant modern challenges for organizations, how how to achieve that level of cross-pollination across different verticals, different silos in your organization. This idea of scientific management, the, the Taylorism that we still drag today, you know, to the companies of the 21st century, 
continues to harm us so much because the reality is that the problems that we are experiencing today in the workplace are very different from those that we were experiencing in the 1920s or the 1930s or 40s. And they are so much more complex today and require holistic, a, a holistic approach to their resolution. And that holistic approach to the resolution doesn't just come from either HR or technology or operation or sales, it comes from everybody. So the more you build opportunities for people to cross bridges in the organization, whether on a long-term basis or on a more sort of ad hoc, uh, informal, perhaps project-based kind of approach, the more uh, the more the more synapses you're going to be creating in the brain of the organization. Therefore, the more possibility you have to solve complex problems by getting everybody on board in the in the solution seeking process, if you will. So I think this is true for everybody in the organization, by the way, because I but because I work in hacking HR and in HR, I think when you look at some of the most significant problems that organizations are dealing with right now, they have to do with people. And unfortunately, HR alone, even the most progressive HR functions in the world, they can't solve those problems alone. They will have to bring people from IT, sales, finance, marketing, operation, engineering, everybody on board to solve those problems. And that's why, you know, very often when I have these conversations, I define a futuristic role of HR as being a facilitator that brings people together to solve problems that HR may not be fully equipped to solve by itself, but it can bring people on board in an exercise of, all right, these are the problems. How do we solve them? Let's get everybody together. I love that. It's really talking about migrating HR from this traditional tactical role to one that's very, very strategic. And that's not easy for a lot of organizations. It's also a role and a function that's very proactive. And so to do what you're describing does require an investment, an investment of time, money, and people. The other thing I'm just reflecting on, Enrique, is that what you're talking about is an extension of diversity within an organization. So you're helping people and organizations to leverage diverse viewpoints and strategies and thoughts in their decision-making process. And to do that, it requires bringing in multiple stakeholders, like you said. And I think it's also encouraged or promoted by making sure that we are not just following through with DEIB initiatives as a check the box, but we're actually inculcating them into our core values within our organization, because having a diverse workforce is going to contribute to exactly what you're talking about as well. Absolutely. And in in the past... I don't know how far into the past, but in the past, some people had a hunch that diverse teams were inclusion, belonging, were fundamental pieces of the, of, the, of the workplace. They knew that those teams would do better than teams where everybody looked the same or thought the same way. Now we do have the science not only to back it up, but we also have the science to say that teams that, that are diverse that are inclusive in their strategies and in the work outperform teams that are not. And what this helps you, you know, if you work in HR and you got a leadership team who does not necessarily believe in the in the power of diversity, equity, and inclusion as a, as a, as an strategic imperative rather than just as a fluffy thing to have to say that we are diverse and blah blah blah. You can show them the data and say, you know, we work in the manufacturing sector and this is this is the makeup 
of our organization. You know, 70% of our leaders are white, you know, middle-aged, you know, baby boomers. And this is how we are doing. Now, look at this other company in a similar sector, maybe in a different state. These guys have maybe only 30% of their leadership is you know, white middle-aged men, then the rest is a very diverse makeup of their leadership and their workforce. They are making much money than we're making. Their reputation is way better than, than ours. They are not having the same trouble that we're having to attract talent or to retain talent. Therefore, they are doing better than we are, maybe for a myriad of reasons, but one of them certainly because they are more diverse than we are. So you can show data to say that it's not just a fluffy thing, but how integrating all those diverse perspectives and ideas is a powerful driver for value in the organization. And the problem that I see in HR, which is sometimes a very painful thing to see, to be honest, is that I think a lot of HR people even miss the mark when it comes to how important diversity and inclusion as, as strategic imperatives are. Uh, they also see them as checking the box, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, our, our talent pipeline, now we have, we don't have just men applying for jobs. Now we have 50% of them are women. That's, that's not enough. I mean, that's just, just a check mark, right? You get to embed the idea of diversity and inclusion being a strategic imperatives that can, that can add value to the organization. And then they become a real business driver of value rather than just another HR thing that somebody in HR is trying to do because it's a nice thing to do. What we tell our clients is when you're looking at these elements like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, to define them very clearly for what they mean in their own organization. So for instance, with diversity, are we only talking about hiring yeah. people of different age, gender, yeah. ethnicity, sexual orientation? Or are we also talking about how are we going to promote diverse viewpoints yeah. at our meetings? How are we going to solicit different perspectives? Are we going to cross-pollinate talents within the organization, like you mentioned earlier? Because if we don't define these things clearly, then people will make up their own definition and will end up with a substandard result, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And, and one thing, Jeff, if, if I may add, one thing that I want to say in this regard uh, of, of diversity is that it's not just diversity. This is a complex, uh, you know, sort of a question, if you will. And there are four or five components that I would love for everybody to walk away with from our conversation. Diversity is one element. Inclusion is another element. Equity, belonging, and psychological safety are all part of the same equation. You do nothing, really. You, 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 you will achieve nothing if you are increasing the diversity of your teams, whether it is gender, sexual identity, background, ethnicity, race, whatever it is, and if those people don't feel included, if, if they don't feel safe to be who they are in the organization, and if they don't feel that they can, uh, that they can have a say in the way things work in the organization. So what happens very often for a lot of companies is that they focus so much on the diversity element because it's a, it's a sexy uh, selling point, right? It is like, oh, look at us. 50% of our board are women. But what they are not saying is that the women that they are bringing to the board are leaving six months later because the organization is not inclusive. That's not that sexy, right? Uh, so you got to think about the entire equation to make sure that diversity doesn't just become a check mark. It becomes part of what adds value to your organization. So you got to think about the entire 
the entire elements, you know, all the elements, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and psychological safety. Only then will you be able to truly drive value out of having those diverse communities in the company, out of your inclusive strategies, out of them feeling that they belong to something and feeling safe to come forward to with ideas, questions, whatever it is. You're really making the case for expanding those definitions, uh, each one of those definitions for the organization. So yeah. not only what does diversity mean, but what does equity mean in yeah. terms of the behaviors? What, what can we see internally? What does inclusion actually look like when we're in yeah. meetings, how we yeah. communicate with one another? Uh, what does belonging look like? And what are the antithesis? What are some opposite behaviors we've seen either in other organizations or our own that don't work? We want to make sure that we're not doing those and involved with those behaviors, right? Absolutely. I think this is very, this is a fascinating uh, topic in itself, which we can spend like, days just talking about it. Because I, I think that given how, you know, how much uh, uh, scrutiny the public is, is uh, exerting upon organizations. I think, you know, it's positive on one side, but on the flip side of that, it's, it's created a negative effect of organizations just trying to do something for the sake of PR and not for the sake of the value that that something can create in them. So just by saying, oh, now we have a chief diversity officer, now we're hiring more women, and now we're hiring more people from, you know, different minorities, that's not enough if you internally are not fully helping them realize their, their purpose, their passions through work, and you realize your own business goals through having those people on board. So if you see just as a PR, the reality is that you're making yourself as an organization a gigantic disservice by not fully utilizing what this diverse talent can, can bring to the table. So uh, so I'm hoping that those who are listening or watching this, this conversation can reflect on the fact that diversity is great, but not enough. Okay, let's bring it back to Hacking HR for a minute. What led you to start Hacking HR? And tell me what's behind the name. Hacking is changing something from the core. When hackers hack something, at least in the technology world, what they are doing is they are going through each of the lines of each code and they are changing the comma, the one thing, you know, changing things that from the core change what is, what is in the surface. And that to me was what I thought we needed and we still need in HR. We need to change things from the core and not just from the surface. And let me just give you one example of this. A, a few years back, a lot of companies started transitioning out of the name of the title Chief Human Resources Officer into the title Chief People Officer. But then you looked at the way a lot of those companies were behaving, and it was nothing, no, be no better, and sometimes even worse than those companies who still remained under the title or, or the, the role remained under the title of Chief Human Resources Officer. So just changing the facade of something is not enough proof that you are going in the right direction. So to me, it was all about changing the core uh, of HR. And the reason why I created this community is actually two reasons. One of them is I am passionate about technology and HR, and I want to bring these two worlds together. And the second reason is because by the time I created Hacking HR, I had a job and I was like bored to death in the job that I had because I was so underutilized working in HR, by the way. 
uh, so ridiculously underutilized and knowing or trying to find a creative outlet for my energy, my, my, uh, how hyperactive I am. And I didn't find that outlet in the company. So I said, you know what? I, I got a couple of options in here. One is I come to the office every day and sit and look through Facebook all day and use 10% of my time, which is what they're using to do 10% of something, or I create some value outside of this thing. And that's why I created Hacking HR. You know, it was number one out of that frustration that my time was not being properly used and I wanted to do something valuable. Number two, out of the fact that I thought HR needs to change. And number three, it originally started as a conversation only about technology and HR. And I said, you know, let's bring these two worlds together because I am passionate about both. So why not? So that's sort of the origin story. That's great. It seems like what you're trying to do with Hacking HR is to remove friction and barriers to people that are interested in your topics as well. Because I've also seen that it's very accessible financially compared to some other models that are out there. Can you say anything about that? Yeah, well, most of the things are most of the things we do are free. There are some things that people need to become a premium member for a platform to get access to. And that as of now costs, you know, $119 per year. I can tell you we we have more content than most of those other organizations in this space that are very, very much uh, more expensive that, than we are to me because we're creating a global community and you know I, I don't see this community through the lenses of just the United States, meaning that you know $119 may not be that much money for a lot of people in here, but for somebody living in Venezuela, for example, my birth country, $119 is three times more than the minimum salary on a year, you know? So for them, it would be impossible to pay for something like this. So I wanted to remove all the barriers from anybody to join any of the things that we do and they get access to all of our content if it's free. Some things are premium, but the content itself, it's all free. How can HR remove friction and barriers within organizations to create better workplaces? Yeah, good question. I, I, I would begin by talking to people, being curious, you know, just, just finding out what's going on. Um, because, you know, unless you talk to them and understand them, it's going to be difficult for you to get, an, to get a picture of why some things are happening in the organization and the direction in which you can take it. You may have a, some hints of why some things may be happening, but I think it's only through active listening, through empathy, uh, through curiosity, uh, intellectual curiosity, curiosity for people, curiosity for the organization, business acumen. I think with those foundations, you can have conversations across the board that will continue to help you paint that, you know, big picture. You know, it's like, you know, like this um, sort of car- cartoonish things where you, you're given all the dots and now you have to start connecting the lines right. uh, to create something. That's what you got to do. You got to first plot the dots. And you plot the dots by bringing all those conversations and being curious. And then you start, you know, connecting those dots through lines that, but that requires a lot of curiosity from HR people. And I think that's not being quite on a skill for us. We've always, um, not always, but um, I lo- you know, our profession was created to uh, mitigate risks, to uh, follow the policy and the handbook and blah, blah, blah. And that made people really not curious. You know, that made people really comfortable about, you know, the fact that, what the policy says is what it is. And, you know, that harmed us in pretty significant ways. And now we are trying to say, yes, we have a handbook, but that's not all. Life is not the handbook. You know, there's so much more to it. And it's only through curiosity that we can truly find out the dots and then connect them. 
Mm -hmm. Very well said. Now, I know you're a technologist at heart, so I want to talk about HR tech for a minute. In our space, I'll just sort of start it with a little bit of a story. We oftentimes will have clients that implement our software and they they might think that the implementation of the software is going to solve all their problems. And that's not the case. We always like to tell people that this is not a panacea. There actually are other behaviors and things that are really required in order to fully leverage this to achieve your objectives. And by the way, as Laurie Anderson, the, the famous artist and musician said, if you think technology will solve your problems, you don't understand technology and yeah. you don't understand your problems. So yeah. <laughs> I like that quote, but I want you to share Enrique, what your perspective is on HR tech and what the future looks like. My perspective is that if you think technology will solve your problems, then you don't understand your problems and you don't understand technology. <laughs> that is my perspective. Technology is not the panacea. I love that you said that especially now, given how famous HR has become over the past, uh, you know, probably five, 10 years, but especially over the past couple of years. And what this created was a lot of, you know, technology hawks getting into this space and saying, I'm going to be something to do this. I'm going to be something to do that. So the, 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 the landscape of HR technology has become crowded very complex and very fragmented uh, because now we have technology to do like a little thing, a little sliver of what HR is supposed to be doing, but not the entire thing. And I think this is creating great opportunities, but also a lot of other problems that we didn't see uh, or foresee uh, when we saw the emergence of all these uh, technologies. So what I would say is the first thing that I would do if I was thinking about bringing technology on board to solve X or Y problem or to add X or Y kind of value is think about my processes. And you know, I, I actually like to use the analogy of telling people, think that each of your processes is one piece of paper just, and you just put them all on the table. All of, all of your people processes are on the table. And now you got to start uh, a, a, sort of a, um, trimming out some of those processes that are not adding any kind of value. Let me give you one example, which Netflix does, not a lot of organizations do, but they just you know, sort of removed the policy of how people have to dress to go to work. They are like, wait a second. I mean, are we talking to children here from you know, kindergarten who already also know how to dress? As actually, you know, they wouldn't probably be, go naked to school. So do you need that policy for anything? And if the answer is no, just trim it out. And then you focus on the things that truly create value for the organization. Once you focus on that, then you start saying, out of all these pieces of paper that I have on my table, what, how can technology help us do some of them? And then you start thinking about those processes, about how technology can help you, and about how you have to redesign those valuable processes to continue to be even more valuable than they were before. Only then do you bring technology on board. But we get it all wrong because what we do now is, we bring the technology on board and we adapt our processes to whatever that technology has to offer us. And that is a big mistake because it ends up caging you from operating in a more valuable way. And even more painfully down the road, it becomes even more expensive if you didn't see the the pitfalls or the constraints of said technology. So to me, it is all process first, business value, and then you think about the technology that can help you deliver more of that. I love that. And it makes the case for really understanding very clearly what your objectives are first yeah. and what your what your needs are. And then finding the tools that really 
can be customized to meet those needs, right? Yeah. 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 Because we got it, we got it all the up, upside down. You know, what we do today is like something looks cool and we think, oh, you know, let's bring this technology on board. Then we bring it on board. And it's not, sometimes it's not even solving any problem. It's actually adding more work to HR because now on top of all the stuff that you were doing before that you didn't redesign before bringing technology, now you also have to manage the technology and it all ends up becoming much more complex than it was in the first place. So you have to, technology, the technology piece that you bring on board is the last piece of what you do. You begin with business value, redesigning your processes, and only then you say, as I said before, what technology can help us deliver this? Uh, instead of saying, let me bring the technology and see how I adapt to whatever that technology lets me do, right? That's that's the wrong approach. All right, let's shift into some lightning round questions. The first one is, what are you most grateful for? Being alive, I think, you know, being, being, you know, being able to use my full body alive and think and be curious. I think I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Enrique, what's the most difficult leadership lesson that you've learned over your career? to let things go, I guess. I think, uh, you know, including behaviors, you know, I, I mean, I look back at my 20 year, 20 plus year career and I'm like, you know, today I'm so different than it was 20 years back and, and letting go of things that I thought were normal or were acceptable. Uh, that, that's been my own personal leadership uh, journey. And it's, it's not easy, you know, to let go of all habits. Who is one person you would interview if you could living or not? Oh, that's a great question. I have so many people that I would love to interview. I think I would interview Abraham Lincoln. I am very passionate about history. I am very passionate about people who live through very, very difficult times. And, um, and I would love to ask him, you know, I mean, how do you do all this? Why do you care in the first place? Um, so yeah, I think Abraham Lincoln would be, would be one of them. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I'm going to say... Somebody told me once, Enrique, you move so fast and you expect everybody to move at the same pace and that's not gonna, that's not gonna give you any peace. So you are going to have to learn um, to accept the, you know, sort of paraphrasing what that person said, you know, you're gonna have to learn how to, how to live with the fact that people move at different paces and that's part, of, that's part of building something. We've covered some great ground today and I'd love you to share what the greatest takeaway you'd like to leave with our listeners is. Well, out of all the conversation that we just had, I, I'm going to say, be curious, be curious about the problems that we are going through. Be curious about people, you know, ask them questions. Don't be afraid talking about it, talking about creating a, an environment of inclusion, you know, just be curious. You know, if, if, you, if you talk to somebody who, whom you have never talked before from another country, another race, another sexual identity, ask them questions. You know, I mean, you're going to be learning so much uh, and be curious about areas that are not your own. This is true for everybody, including HR, of course. You know, I have an eclectic taste for, you know, for readings. You know, I read about science. I read about technology. I read a lot about history. And people may say, I read about biology. I love evolution uh, theories. And people may say like, you know, what does that have to do with HR? I'm like, probably nothing, but it does. You know, I connect some dots, at least two dots get connected back there when I read about Charles Darwin or when I read about Alexander the Great, uh, which I just finished reading the book about him. So, you know, just be I curious. Love that. Yeah, I love curious. that. I forgot to ask you, what's your top book recommendation? Oh man, I have so many. Um, but there, there's one book that I read a, a, a few months back. It's called Range by David Epstein. 
Uh, and it talks about people learning across different fields and not just getting vertically like the best expert because it's, it is when you combine all those areas that you get better. That book was fascinating. So it's called Range by David Epstein. Fantastic book. Excellent. That actually speaks to exactly what we we're talking about earlier within yes. organizations, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. You know, that's why I brought it up because I think it has to do very much with uh, the, the, the nature of the conversation that we just had. I love that. I love that. Enrique, thank you for what you're doing at Hacking HR and for bringing all of this wisdom to the Human Capital Podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jeff. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. Let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human, kind.